Well, good morning. So uh, we are in a series called Perfect. Well, actually, we're not. We're in a series called Fear Right. And, uh, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could just live perfectly? And, and, and so we had this absolutely no struggle whatsoever and, and no fear at all. And, and well, we don't really. And, and as we wrestle with the day-to-days and the distractions, we often get caught up in the fears. And the beauty of this song that we were just listening to is that we have a God who rushes to our side, as we learned last week, that he's right here with us as we're moving through it. Sometimes he stops and changes the circumstances, oftentimes he helps us to be transformed as we move through the struggle. That's our great God. And so today we're actually looking at, in the midst of fear right, what does it look like to properly fear the Lord? To fear the Lord. And so let me just throw this out here. Consider this. Have you heard this phrase? Perfect love casts out fear. Have you heard that phrase? Here's where I'm looking for feedback. Have you heard that phrase? Okay, so perfect love casts out fear. Have you heard this phrase? God is love. Okay, so perfect love casts out fear. God is love. Okay, fear the Lord. Have you heard that phrase? I hope so. I just said it a few times, right? It's like, well, hang on. Is that a contradiction? Perfect love casts out fear. God is love. Fear the Lord. I see a lot of faces like this. Ah, that does seem like a contradiction, right? So, so let's just contemplate what that means. I, certainly we can assume this then. That we know the scriptures don't contradict. The fear that we're talking about, perfect love casts out fear. Uh, that's not the same fear as the fear of the Lord, okay? That's the bottom line. Perfect love casts out fear like unpredictable. I have no idea if it's going to hurt me. I'm worried and concerned about it and I'm stuck on myself. That's the little F fear that perfect love casts out. Okay. But the fear of the Lord, capital F, capital L O R D, right? Capital fear of the Lord that we're talking about. Very different than unpredictable may hurt me at any moment. Not sure which way it's going to head. That's not what we're talking about. The fear of the Lord actually comes from a word that means awe, respect, reverence as a part of it, but also an understanding of his greatness and his vastness, his ability. There is some of a statement that like, do not contradict, but instead get where he's headed and move with him. There's a deep awe and respect. Well, how do I live that out? How do I live out this perfect fear of the Lord that seems to trump all the other fears? What's that look like, Tim? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 37. That's what we're going to be answering today. And we've got ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? We're going to walk through the first 11 verses here. So just raise your hand if you need a Bible. They'll get one to you. How do I properly fear the Lord. That's what we're answering. So the first point, to properly fear the Lord, we must trust Him joyfully. <clears throat> to properly fear the Lord, we must trust Him joyfully. That's our first point. You know, we're going to get a number of uh, little sub-points out of this, and each of you might grasp something different um, depending on where you're at in your stage of life. But to properly fear the Lord, we must trust Him joyfully comes Right out of these few verses right at the front end here. He starts out, fret not yourself because of evildoers. 
This is a psalm written by David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Okay, so fret not. That means like, don't worry about it. In fact, in the original language, this word means to have been kindled or stirred. Something like a fire being started. Don't be concerned. Don't have this deep worry that runs within you. That's fretting. He says, don't go there. That doesn't work. In fact, all it does is get us all upset and uptight. And then we find out we really have no control. And then we just get a little bit more worried and concerned. It's the death spiral. Fret not because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Envious. That word literally means resentful of their advantage. He's saying, look, you might be looking around and seeing that people who aren't doing it all that rightly or correctly seem to be getting benefit. Like there's something working in this world for them, and I don't like the fact that it's working for them. And what's up with that? How come it's not harder for them when they're not following God? He's saying, just set that down for a season. Put down that envious piece where you're looking at them and you're looking at their temporal advantage. Trust me, God's at work. We have a lot of people who choose to blow a God off, do whatever they want. Do not rest your eyes on them. Rest your eyes on the Almighty King and watch Him at work. Fret not. Do not be envious. Why? Verse 2. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Fading. I mean, that's all we can really describe life on this earth as. I mean, it literally is like this much time in the entire vastness of eternity. And because of the smallness of this world and the littleness of what might be going right in the moment, don't be looking there. Be looking into eternity to see God's perspective on what's going on. They will soon fade like the grass. Now he gets into a a killer word, verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Simple word, pretty tough to do. If you're not putting your heart in the right spot, this word is near impossible to do. Because it really does take God transforming you from the inside out. Trust, I just wrote it this way. Dependence on someone else about something future. Trust. Depending on someone else about something future. That's what we need to be doing with God. Trusting Him. Depending on God about future events. Lord, I'm trusting in you and what you have in store for me, for my family, for this world. You as king, Lord, I'm trusting you. Another way to say it, getting out of the boat. You know what I'm talking about? Like you think of Peter sitting in the boat, right? And and, and Jesus calls to him and says, come on, come out and walk on the water. Trust. In the middle of a storm, being called to step out into the storm with your almighty God. Trust. Depending on someone else about something future. That God might have the greater impact in your life. Trust in the Lord. Hand over to him what's going on in your life. And, well, how do I do that? Well, what's that look like? And he gives us three or four definitions here that are kind of helpful to go along with it. Trust. If we have an active trust, notice it says right after it, do good. 
Well, there's going to be some level of obeying that's going on with him. You're going to grasp what he's asking you to do and you're going to follow through, right? If it's real trust, we're like, we're standing here and God says, trust me in this one. You're like, seriously, God, I got it. I totally trust in you. Completely got it. I understand you're in charge. I trust you. Step out. No. Why won't you step out now? Oh, I trust you. Then step out. No. Like, is that real trust? What are we really trusting in? Whatever I'm standing on, wherever I'm at right now is a little bit better. And I think I've got control of this one. And so as much as I say the words trust, I am not willing to step out. The stepping, the obeying, the God, I see what you're calling me to do and I'm going to do it. Even though it doesn't make sense to me right now, even though I don't see the bigger picture, Lord, I'm willing to do good. That's the first part of trusting is making sure that you really are stepping out with him. Second, dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. Like where God's called you to be is where God wants you to be. Make sure you're willing to be where God has called you to dwell. Like this is an easy one to get pretty upset about. Like every day we go into work and we're like, I cannot believe I have to be at this place. I do not want to be here. I do not want to be talking to these people. I do not want to be doing this job. This is such a loser place. This whole thing stinks. I don't think, I don't know if God's got anything under control when, right? I want out of here because, like, I can't believe I have to live in this geographic area. My word, it's already 80 degrees and it's March. Where's the cold? I love the cold. If anybody's saying that, we're not going to go there. We do have to be careful that we don't get upset about what God's calling us to be and do and where he's calling us to be at. Lord, I'm hearing you. Lord, I want to be where you've called me to be. Dwell in the land that God's called you to dwell in. Dwell there with some joy that God might get the greater glory. Trust. God, I hear you. I love the way he says this next one. Befriend faithfulness. I love that statement. Befriend faithfulness. Look, faithfulness, what's the word mean? It means that you yourself are actually somebody that can be trusted. When you say you're going to be there, you're there. When you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. You follow through. Make that your friend. You're often understood to be hanging out with faithfulness. Befriending faithfulness. You are sincere, you're pure, and you're standing for his name. May you be that person. Uh, Somebody that's trusting in God is as faithful as he is. We don't move because he's not moving. And now you become trustworthy. That's what it looks like. Lord, may I truly look like you in this world. May I be obeying you. May I be hanging out where you want me to hang. And may I be as faithful to others as I possibly can be. May I truly look like faithfulness is my friend. And then in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust and delight go hand in hand. Did you know that? We can say we're trusting in him, but then in the middle of our struggles, we're like, I'm not really happy with God right now. Have you ever had those times where you want to talk that way or you're talking to somebody else and they're like, truth be told, dot, dot, dot. Like, I just want to let you know that I don't really see the call here. I don't quite get it. And I think God's off on it a little bit, you know? And well, I'm glad you're sharing that because God needed help today, right? 
How often do we get stuck trying to correct God? And, and I'm telling you, if we're not delighting in him, we're correcting him. Those are the only two options. If you're not delighting in him, you're correcting him. I'm not happy you did this one wrong. It needs to be different, God, and that's the end of it. That's a tough position to be standing in. How about standing in the position of, Lord, you're in charge. And the cause of the storm might be sin. And the cause of the pain, it might not be me. But you've called me to be here in this moment. And I'm not sure why, and I'm not sure what the goal is, but may you be glorified. I delight in my Lord. I mean, when Paul is talking in Philippians 4, and he says, look, I'm telling you, no matter what the circumstance, whether I'm in need or in plenty, I absolutely am going to be celebrating the joy in my Lord. I have no problems. I can do all things, right? The phrase, I can do all things, it gets so misquoted. It's used all the time for like, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to lift 300 pounds. Dude, have you been lifting at all? Not at all, right? That's not what it means. All right. I can do all things. It means, Lord, in the midst of plenty or in wine, it means no matter what's going on, I'm trusting in you and the circumstances around me are not what's going to define my delight and my happiness. You are. Notice it says delight in the Lord. Not in, not delight in the circumstances that come from knowing the Lord. See how we like to elongate that? Right? Delight in the circumstances, the privileges, the blessings from coming to know Jesus. And like, that's not what it says. It says delight in the Lord. Get to know him personally. Get to know him directly and passionately. Get to know him in a way where you are abiding with him. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 talks about abiding in him like he's the vine and we're drawing life from him and we abide in him and we abide in his word. And then it says that actually if you abide in him and if you abide in his word, Ask whatever you will and, and he'll answer yes. Notice it says the same thing here. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is not the grand manipulation plan. Okay? This is not, I knew there was a way to get that Harley Davidson. And, and so I just got to hang with Jesus long enough. And then when I ask, he'll have to because I can quote Psalm 37.4. Like that's not what's going on. It's not that there's anything wrong with motorcycles. I don't need an email on that one this week. But in the end, the bottom line is delighting in him means as we abide in him, as we draw life from him, God literally pouring into us and our lives being transformed, our hearts becoming more like him, we start seeing things that he sees. We start loving what he loves. We start hating what he hates. And what we ask for is the very place his heart would be moving next as well. And we say, Lord, please, dot, dot, dot. And he's like, exactly. That's so where I was going to be moving. Watch this. And it's the rallying of his people around his heart as he's moving and stirring in this world. That's what it looks like to delight in him and to be moving with him, to be grasping where he's going. Lord, I so want to be excited about what you're doing in this world. May I grasp your character at the depths of my core and may it change me for a lifetime. Trust, fear, a true respect for his greatness, his grandeur, his sovereignty, that he's got it under control. Well, how do I know I'm doing that? You know, five indicators that we're trusting the Lord. Five indicators that we're trusting the Lord. Number one, 
worship, you are going to have a strong sense of his greatness. Worship. If we are really trusting him, his greatness is going to blow us away in everything. I'm telling you from the smallest, from a couple nights ago, I go walking outside and I open up the door and let the dogs out late at night and I'm standing out there and I look up and it's like 70 some degrees and the stars are in the sky like crazy and it's absolutely gorgeous out and you understand the greatness of a God that's spoken into existence and sits over the whole of the universe, keeping it in play, keeping it as it is. The greatness of our God, every little moment becomes a moment where you see his greatness and his worship. If you're trusting him, you're going to see him as that. Number two, there's a peace. There's like a real calm in the midst of the storm. Lord, I don't get what's going on at all, but you do. Like, I don't know which way is headed next, but you've got it. There's a calm in the midst of the storm. You don't have to have the answers for tomorrow. Because he does. There's a peace. Number three, there's a joy. We've called it this before, but there's a deep river of satisfaction despite the circumstances. That's joy. There seems to be this smile on your face even in the midst of struggle. There seems to be, even in the midst of problems, a settledness about how awesome it is to be with him. Joy. Not a whining and complaining about the circumstance or the people. Not a an upset about what so-and-so said at work and how dare they have said that about me or implied this about whatever or joy. It's absolutely understanding God at work no matter what the circumstance. So worship, peace, joy. Number four, there's going to be obedience. You're truly following him. Look, if we trust him, we follow him. And that's the bottom line. When somebody's saying, oh, no, I trust him, seriously, but I'm not doing what that scripture says, breaks my heart. They really are missing what trust looks like. In their hands, they feel safe with it. In God's hands, they don't. Should be the exact opposite. Trust. It brings obedience. And number five, compassion. I've never met a trusting person who doesn't have a broken heart for others around them. See, they get how much God is at work in their life. And so they see how much God could be at work in the life next to them. And the moment we start saying it was about me and what I've done, the moment we start taking a little bit of credit, that's the moment we start judging. The moment we start saying, I've got this thing down. I'm the one who fixed this problem. It was my hands. It was my words. It was, it was my advice. It was... See, that's when we start stealing away God's glory. And and that's when we start dropping the compassion, right? The fifth point there. So five indicators that we're trusting the Lord. There's worship, there's peace, there's joy, there's obedience, there's compassion. Imagine running across that kind of person. You meet somebody who's always celebrating God's greatness. No matter what's going on, they're calm and at ease. There's this great smile on their face. They've got this deep satisfaction. They do whatever God calls them to, whenever he calls them to it. And they always see the hurting around them as a way to be able to reach out and care and show God's greatness again. That's what we're called to be, is trusting believers. Trust. 
It means even though your gut's not telling you that's the way it's going, that's the way it's going. You're following God and believing in him. You know, in 1999, uh, JFK Jr. Um, died in a plane crash over the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, in fact, their official statement afterwards was it was a result of spatial disorientation. In other words, he didn't know which way was up. Okay. When you get into a cloud cover and he was flying into some bad weather in the midst of the cloud cover, he began to kind of have a sensation of which way was up and down. And for a while he was right about it. And after he got tossed around a little bit, all of a sudden he felt like he knew which way was up and he started heading for it. And he ignored the gauges in front of him, followed his gut, and he went right into the Atlantic Ocean. And it ended up taking his life. You know, I was talking to a guy who flies for a, uh, for a living afterwards. And uh, he said the sad thing is, all he had to do was look at his gauge. The gauges would have told him where the horizon was. And as he started driving towards what felt like up, he would have seen it starting to dip down in. He could have trusted the gauges and pulled it back up. And it would have saved his life. Trusting the gauges. You know, that's a lot like us in our Christian walk with Christ. All too often, we're going through the walk, the daily routine, and we trust the gut, me inside and my feelings, but we don't trust God in his word. The very clear direction of him and his gauges that helps us know which way to be heading and trust and move with him, regardless of your feelings, put them last And follow him and his word with all you've got. Trust. It's everything when it comes to fearing the Lord. So my simple question to you is this. What's your storm? What's the storm that you're in that's got your distraction, that's pulling you away, that's got you kind of stirred? What are your struggles? Next question. Are you willing to commit to following his gauges, his word, and God Almighty. As he's moving through his word and sharing with you which way to step and how to step there, are you willing to trust him and step out accordingly? May his word be preeminent in our lives. May we let God speak. Amen? Amen. Hey, the fear of the Lord, it starts with the word trust. It starts with what word? Say it louder. It starts with what word? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. May we trust in him with all we've got. All right. Second step to properly fear the Lord. We must wait patiently on him to move. We must wait patiently on him to move. This comes after trust. It's the next step. Okay. So let's just start here in verse five. Notice he says, commit. Excuse me. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Commit your way to the Lord. May we absolutely respond to him by dedicating our steps to him. Commit your way. It's a passion of Lord where you go. I will go like I'm going to follow you and I want to absolutely be where you want me to be. I'm committing my steps today to you. It's a dedication. He says right after a trust in him and he will act. No, maybe about that. 100% guaranteed. He will act. Our God, absolutely dependable. 
Depend on him and he will move. Sometimes in you, as he changes you, sometimes in the situation, as he changes the circumstances, sometimes in both. But he will act. God will move. We just asked, what's the storm you're in? Are you ready to trust him and commit your way to him and expect him to act accordingly? Well, who says that he's going to act in you or in your situation, Tim? Uh, let's just keep reading. So he says in verse six here, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. He will bring forth your righteousness. Are you hearing it? He's literally going to work in your heart. He's going to transform you and you are going to have what is called righteousness more tomorrow than today because of God at work in you. His glory pouring over you, literally changing you from one degree of glory to another. That's you in him. His righteousness is going to pour over you and it's going to bring forth your righteousness. Sometimes he's going to change you. And notice it says, as the light. This is like sitting in a dark pitch black room and turning on a flashlight. Righteousness in the midst of darkness, it beams forth. Your righteousness can be that in this dark world. He can be changing and transforming you for his honor and for his glory. Notice it says right after it, and your justice as the noonday. Sometimes God's saying, look, I know it wasn't right. I know it was completely unfair and hurtful, and I'm going to be changing that. Just hang on. Sometimes he dives into the circumstances and he modifies them. It says here his, his justice working for your justice. And it says as the noonday. In other words, as bright as it is at 12 noon, that's how much he's going to be working for your justice. That's how much he's going to be bringing out the good in the circumstances. God at work. Now, it might be in a short-term set of circumstances. It might be over the long term. Remember, we're in the phrase here, wait patiently. God, you know what's going on. All too often we demand, hey, you said you would act. And I prayed and I've waited. It's been 13 seconds. And I expect a little bit of movement here, God. Are you going to move for me or not? Right? How often do we get into pain and problems where we instantly begin to evaluate the pain? Don't we become experts at that? Like, how are you doing today? Good. Kind of have a little backache right here. No, no. Now it's here. You know what I mean? And we're just sort of walking around and we're great evaluators of our own problems and our own pain. And, and we want God to take it away. Can you please make this all go away? And can you, instead of saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing or where you're moving with it, but I'm moving with you no matter what. Man, is that a call? Uh, is that easy, Tim? Well, maybe for you, not for me, right? Each day, it's a struggle for us to be wrestling to say, Lord, I'm handing it over to you. God, I want to be transformed all the more. And each moment that we find ourselves coming up short, that's a moment where we just stop and say, what just broke? Lord, right now, I want to know what just went broken so that I stop trusting you. I'm done with that. I want to be moving to real trust in you. No matter what the circumstance, you've got me. May I be called the friend of faithfulness. May I know you personally and passionately. May you have me in your hands. Lord, deep breath. I'm setting down whatever I need to set down that you might get the glory in me. Trusting in him. 
knowing that he's going to act. Notice he says right after it, be still before the Lord and wait. Be still before the Lord and wait. Be still. This is like a spiritual calm. This is not moving. Be still. But hanging on. Okay? It's not fighting. It's it's not resisting. It's literally saying, God, I'm hearing you. And, and until I do, I'm not moving. Well, what does be still look like? Notice he says, be still before the Lord. And now we've got a list of three things. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. So wait patiently. Being still means waiting. It doesn't mean being impatient, but rather being patient. If we're going to be still, we have to avoid the impatience. When we start tapping our foot, when we start moving our hands, when we start feeling like we've got to be doing something, I cannot just sit here. That's the moment that we're beginning to break away from God and take control back ourselves. Uh, question. Have you ever been driving in a car where you're in, in the driver's seat? Have you ever been driving? Yes. Have you ever had somebody next to you who's not driving? Yes. Suggestively? And they're like, maybe you should get in another lane. Maybe you should. Seriously, I got it under control. Maybe you should. Maybe you should not. (laughs) Right? Doesn't it get a little bit? I mean, just seriously, trust that I've got it under control. How many accidents have I had? Come on. Right? And we work together on it. And and then you sit in the passenger seat. Now we're a little more suggestive. Right? So I'm sitting in the passenger seat and... uh, my daughter, Megan, who's got her permit, is driving. Now, all of a sudden, I become little chatty Kathy. <laughs> Hang on, slow down, move over a little bit. And, of course, just so you guys know, this is a pastoral problem, but right is left and left is right. Because when I need you guys to look left, I say, look left, and I point with my right hand, right? So I'm saying to her, make sure you stay left. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know what to do right now. You know what I mean? Like... I'm telling you, it gets a little complex as you start giving too much advice into things. Trusting that a person has it is a big deal. When we start trusting that God's got it, we're not sitting in the passenger seat giving a lot of suggestions. We're trusting that he's got it. Waiting, not impatiently, but patiently. Notice he says right after it, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself. No worrying over this thing. Fret not yourself. Worry. This is the thing we do while we're sitting there. You know, I don't have anything else to do. I'll let my mind run. Man, can you imagine if this happened? Ooh, that would be bad. And then if that happened, wow, then this could happen. Oh my. And, and then, and then, and then, and then, and all of a sudden we're in this description of the entire world unraveling and, right? And it all started with I had to sit and wait. I just can't wait without letting something run. So my mind started running and I worried, fret not, hang on, God's got it under control, trust him with all you've got, no impatience, no worry, and the last one there, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Have you ever noticed that impatience leads to worry and then worry, once you've kind of gotten yourself stirred up, leads to a nice little explosion? Like at this point, we're all of a sudden like, you're going to hit a car! 
right? And we like freak out and we bring it up and there's like, it's way away. And you're like, yeah, but I was thinking, what if they opened a door and then you weren't seeing it and then you stayed to the right and then right, right? It didn't happen. It's not happening that way. Just relax. And still, nonetheless, no, you need to set it down. All too often we work ourselves into tizzies. We got to be very careful. Trusting the Lord is all about a calm in the midst of the storm. Impatience and worry and anger. Three steps to a very clear not being still. He says at the end here, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil for the evil doers shall be cut off. Know this. God's got it all under control. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. There is blessing in waiting upon him. There is value in trusting the Lord to get it done. Wait upon the Lord. Now, I just wrote it this way. Three steps to waiting well. This comes from a guy named G. Campbell Morgan. I actually said this about two years ago in a sermon, but it's worth saying again. Three steps to waiting well. Number one, a willingness to act under command. A willingness to act under command. We have to be willing to be obedient. Okay, so waiting well. First, it involves a willingness to be obedient. Number two, a readiness for any new command. We're standing poised. It's like you're the runner at the start and you're hanging on. You're looking back. You're checking. You're ready. You're poised. There's a readiness to take the command. Okay. You're not just hanging out, sipping a cup of tea. Somebody says, Hey, could you do that? Just a minute. Like that's, that's not it. Okay. Waiting is like, Lord, I'll act as soon as you call upon me. And I haven't heard from you yet. So I'm hanging on. So a willingness, then a readiness. Number three is the ability to do nothing. Until the command is given. That's being still. Lord, I'm going to hang on. I'm not going to let my mind run away with me. I'm not going to let my emotions run away with me. Anger. I'm just going to be patient and wait upon you. You've got this thing under control. Waiting well. You know, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, on our property that we're building on, uh, if you notice, they're putting out the exterior covering now, so it's starting to take shape like an actual building that has an enclosure to it. Have you noticed that? So it's, it's starting to fill in or going around. It's exciting to see what's going on with that building. Uh, a good example of waiting. You know, that, that property was a piece of property that uh, we had seen much earlier on. In fact, we had seen it, I was probably just a few weeks here, four or five weeks here when I had first seen it, um, and we saw a little for sale sign in the corner of the place. Um, we had talked about it at elder level a number of times. Uh, the bottom line was you had to build a road into that thing. And that road was going to cost a lot of money, like half a million plus. And so you had to build a road in. And <clears throat> we actually only had a number of people were mostly coming from the east at that time. We still were growing. I mean, it was early on in the stage of this church. And, and so it really wasn't central or accessible in that regard. Uh, it was maybe a little further west than where our body was coming from. And and, and we just said, you know what, it, it, while it looks like a nice piece of property, it's not, it's not time to move on that at all. And, and we just sat back and we waited and uh, weren't sure if that was where God was even calling us. And we just kept praying about other things and looking at other options. And, and a year later, a year and a half later almost, um, the neighbors in that area had agreed that they wanted that property to sell, one guy specifically. And so there was some participation to help pay for that road. They would split the cost of the road. So now the road costs significantly less for us if we were going to do it. 
Uh, and more than that, we were actually able to take a look at our body that a lot of people had started coming from the Peoria and the Peak and in the Germantown Hills and all the areas over further to the river here because we were at embassy. And, and we had this significant number of people coming in a bigger circle. And, and actually, when we drew it up, it was almost dead center on the centrality of what we had coming to this body. God was answering a prayer. And the timing of it all was seeing the centrality of it and seeing the affordability of it. And it was awesome to watch God work. And as we moved in, everything just went like clockwork. And let me tell you something. When we found out that the guy was willing to help participate in the pay, that there were a couple of people and we were able to get it at a much cheaper price that way, we didn't wait around for another year and a half and say, I don't know, let's just keep thinking about it. And like we moved, we moved right then and there. And that was over the summer. We were able within a few weeks time to be able to turn it around and be our property. And we were able to announce to you guys in August. And by the next, uh, whatever that was, January, February, we were doing our stewardship campaign. God moving, waiting on him doesn't mean he'll never move. It means he'll move in the right time. Make sure you watch for him to move in the right time. It's amazing the benefits and privileges that come from it. And now we look at this property and we have so many people that are just like, wow, that property makes so much sense. It's so central to where everybody's coming from. It's so obviously harvest. We got the sign right on the highway. You got the visibility and there's this nice road in. Yeah, that got built by a number of people who all agreed to partner together. That wasn't there ahead of time. It's neat to watch God work on things and put it together where you can look back and say, clearly the hand of God. God look for that in your life be able to say I've waited so patiently clearly the hand of God in our family in our home in my walk may he be moving in your life so the question what's God calling you to wait on not move hang on I'm fixing some things up. I'm arranging some things. I'm changing some circumstances. Just wait. What's he calling you to wait on? You got it in your head? Okay, the next question then. So how are you doing at the three steps of waiting? Willingness and readiness and an ability to do nothing until he fires the gun. Wait for him. It's an amazing level of fearing God. Lord, we only move when you want us to move. And we'll only move where you want us to move. May you be honored and glorified. Trust him. Wait on him. And then the third step. To properly fear the Lord, we must know our place in God's story. To properly fear the Lord, we must know our place in God's story. Verses 10 and 11. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully in his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the land. Look, God's got a plan. And this plan has eternity in perspective. And I'm telling you this. When he says wicked, he's saying there are people who choose to stand before the almighty God and say, I'll stand here of my own good. And I will try to be good enough, in quotes. And that good enough will earn me rights. That person is known by their good and their bad. And that person gets a label. The label is wicked. We're known by our goodness and we come up short. Romans 3.23. All that we put together comes up short. Comes up an air ball. How timely. March Madness, right? Comes up nothing but an air ball. And we end up with zero points off of it. We're known for nothing but our shortcoming. 
wicked. That's where we stand without Jesus Christ. Or it says the meek, the one who realizes, Lord, I need you. Lord, please use your shed blood to replace what I owe. I'm wrong to stand on my own. I'm wrong to shake a fist at you. I'm done with that approach to you. You are the great God of the universe. No questioning here. I stand before you simply saying, you've got my attention. Lord, please forgive me. Replace what I owe. I'm done with that. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior and my King. The meek. That's what it's all about. Lord, you've got me. My question to you is simply this. Do you let him have that in your life? Are you saying, Lord, I'm letting you be Lord? Or are you walking around saying, not on my watch? Are you kidding me? It's going to be my way. And that's the end of it. Are you pushing against him with all you've got? It's time to stop the battle. It's time to see the big picture. We have a king who at the moment is waiting patiently. But let me tell you, Revelation 19 is coming. We have a king who will be coming to restore as all needs to be restored. He will be riding in on a white horse and he will be having a sword coming from his mouth. His spoken word as the almighty king takes over his universe. He will be reigning. He will be ruling. He is going to stand over all. Our God reigns. Amen. Hey, that's who rules in this universe. That's who we're fearing. That's who we're trusting. God, you've got me. May I call you Lord today that I might worship you for eternity. That's what it looks like. You know, last week I had two different people within 30 seconds of each other. As I was coming in, one guy stopped me and he just said, I want you to know my life has completely changed. About five months ago, I... I gave my life over to him here at harvest because of what was going on here and what God was doing. And, and like, I'm different and and it doesn't mean things are all going good, but I'm trusting in him and man, I'm excited about what's going on. And he gave his life to Christ and not 30 seconds later, I come in here and, and another person stops me and says, I just want you to know I've been wrestling with things and I'm not even sure where I was with salvation, but I can tell you now I know he's my God. I'm so ready to worship him. I'm so ready to praise him. People giving their lives over to him each and every week here. We're on fire for Jesus Christ. May he get the glory. Amen. Hey, here's the bottom line. God's got a big picture story. Where do you stand in it? Are you ready to worship him for all of eternity? Or are you going to be standing aside? Missing out. Eternal separation from him. Do not be there. Please do not be there. Fearing the Lord. It has to do with trusting him. It has to do with waiting on him. It has to do with saying, Lord, please forgive me. Use your shed blood. I'm listening to you. You've got my attention.